please take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the uh, first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. Let me remind you that the Bible is God's Word. Um, he used human instruments to write it down, and it wasn't like a dictation. He used their, their talents and their gifts and, their, and the ways that they would write, and yet he so guided it by his Holy Spirit, the writing of these things, that while it is their words, yet it is God's Word. It was God's word over 2,000 years ago when it was written, and it is still God's word to us today as well. And so remembering that, uh, recognizing that we're about to read God's communication to us, I would ask you, if you're able, please stand together with me uh, as we read. Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, uh, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I, may, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Well, are you, are you ready? Are you ready for the big day, Wednesday? And uh, got all your shopping done? What, uh, what, uh, seen, what was a matter of months, and we, we get to thinking about it, uh, got, to, got to do all this stuff for Christmas, and it was a matter of months, and then it quickly became a matter of weeks. And now it's a matter of just a couple of days. And you're almost too late if you hadn't done it, right? Christmas Day is upon us. Be here Wednesday. I'm excited. What's it, uh, what's it going to be like for you this Christmas Day? If, if you were a, a young child, uh, if you were anything like I was, um, that Christmas Day, you and know, I, I like to sleep in. I always have. But on Christmas Day, it was different. I was up before daylight wanting to get the parents up and say, let's go. Let's get this thing going here. You know, Let me open these presents. Let's go see what I've got under the tree. But uh, also, if you're a parent and you're like I was as a 
children come in before daylight, you go, what in the world is happening here? Let me sleep a little longer. The coffee's not even ready yet, right? So go fix the coffee and come back and see me in an hour, right? So why you You have a different reaction to it. Um, for some, uh, Christmas Day will be a day to watch a parade or maybe watch a football game. Others may take it as a day to uh, visit with friends or family. You know, there's many different ways to react to a Christmas day. And uh, I think there are different ways that they reacted to that first Christmas as well that we find in our passage this morning. Ways that different people reacted to the coming of Christ. And this morning, as we consider this passage, uh, I want us to consider some of the different ways that... Uh, different reactions to the first coming of Christ brought to different people that we see in our text this morning in these first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. First reaction that I want you to notice, and if you're taking notes, I didn't put the outline in your bulletin, I just wanted you to listen. It's an easy enough outline, you can remember it. Uh, the first reaction that uh, I want you to, to notice is Herod's reaction, uh, King Herod. Um, Herod was a, an interesting uh, character. He was half Jew and half Gentile. And uh, he was one that the Roman authorities, they trusted. They put him, uh, made him the governor of uh, this area where Jesus was born, made him governor. Um, and he was, had that post from 47 B.C. to 40 B.C. And it was at 40 B.C. that while he was still just the governor, yet he received the title of king of the Jews in 40 B.C. He's also known, you may have heard, the title of Herod the Great. That's this Herod. There were several different Herods, but this is the one that was known as Herod the Great. And there were, there were reasons for calling Herod the Great. He was pretty successful as a ruler, as a governor over this area. Um, we watch on the news today, and we see that over in that area, there's always strife and battle and conflict and people fighting one another and blowing people up and everything. That's, that's really not anything new. That went on for years and years, and it was going on back then as well. And one of the reasons Herod was, was thought of as the greatest because he kept relative peace during his whole time as the governor there. In an area where there was not, it was not peaceful, yet he kept it going as, as quite peaceful, as peaceful as it could have been. Also, um, you may recall that during, uh, after the, the Babylonian captivity back in the Old Testament with Daniel and all these guys, that the, the temple had been destroyed, but then they were allowed to go back into Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And this rebuilt temple had come into a great disrepair. And Herod um, um, had the temple uh, rebuilt uh, during this time, and it was, it was magnificent. They said it was even more magnificent than, than the temple that was originally built with Solomon. It was, it was huge, and it was glorious, beautiful uh, in, its, in its splendor. Um, he was also a very generous individual. Um, when difficult times would come on to the people, uh, at that time he would, he would lighten up on the taxes or even stop tax collections from going on. In 25 B.C., there was a, there was a huge famine in the area, and uh, he took his own gold plate in which he was served on, and he melted it down 
and sold it in order to pay for corn for the people to eat. Um, he was thought of as, as quite a generous individual. Uh, part of the rebuilding of the temple. He spent his own money for the rebuilding of the temple. However, it's not all good about Herod the Great. Um, there were some bad things about him. He was quite suspicious and he was very jealous. He was king of the Jews, right? And no one was going to take that away from him. If he was ever, uh, if, if anyone ever became a threat to him or even perceived them to be a threat, he decided he needed to eliminate them. And he did. He would put them to death, including a wife that he thought was a threat to him. He had her put to death. Had a mother-in-law put to death. He had his eldest son put to death. He thought was a, a threat to him. And had two other sons put to death because he thought there were threats to him uh, being the king of the Jews, that they were going to try to overthrow him. It was so bad that uh, the Roman emperor said of Herod that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. And that's just the way it was. He was uh, quite suspicious and quite jealous of his position. Now, take this individual who's very suspicious and very jealous of his position and not willing that anyone would do anything to maybe overthrow him or to take on the title as king of the Jews. That was his alone. And now he sees these foreign dignitaries come into his land. And they come to Jerusalem and they're asking, where is the one who's born king of the Jews? We know he's born. We've seen evidence in the sky. There's a star up there, and it tells us that he has been born. And we've come to honor him and to worship him and to give him gifts. Well, this disturbs Herod. It disturbs him greatly. Someone coming to be king of the Jews take my place? I'm not going to let that happen. So we read what happens. He he, he doesn't know where he's supposed to be born, so he calls in his, his chief priest and the, and the teachers of the law. They all know. They know the Old Testament, and certainly they do. They, they go to Micah and find out where he's going to be born, and they quote from Micah. But, but you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come, one, will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. He'll be born in, in Bethlehem. Right? Well, so Herod tells the Magi, he says, this is where he's going to be born. Now you go and find him, and when you do, come back and tell me where he is, because I want to worship him too. This is exciting. But we know he was lying. He didn't want to go and worship Christ. He wanted to, he wanted to kill him. He wanted to be put in a bath. He wanted to remove this threat to, to his rule. Well, I'm wondering about this reaction in our world today. Are, are there those who would say, you know, he's king. He's king of the universe. He's supposed to be king over me. And that means he would rule over me. But I don't want him ruling over me. I only want to rule myself. He doesn't have any right to tell me what I can do or what I can't do. He doesn't have any right of me just worshiping him. It's really all about me. This was, the, this was the way it was throughout the New Testament. You remember throughout the Gospels? As we read Jesus coming and the religious leaders coming to him, they want him to be part of their group. And so they say, you know, you come and you submit to our rules, and that's not what Jesus is all about. 
saying, I'm the king. I'm the one who is prophesied. You are to give honor and glory to me. And so they hated him. And what did they do as they hated him? They would, they would find ways and invent ways to try to, to put him to death. They would say, you're not going to rule over me. We will rule ourselves. We see it kind of this way in our world today, I think. And a, a lot of people refuse to submit to his rule in their lives. It, it's interesting that... Uh, I haven't noticed it so much this year, but in, in uh, not too many years ago, there was this whole big thing. If you can't say Merry Christmas if you're a, a public official, but they realized they had the name Christ in it and that this, this uh, holiday was all about Christ. And we, well, we can't have that. And so they had to change it to from Merry Christmas to you can say Happy Holidays. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that, but you can't say Merry Christmas. And so there was all this fear, and even in, in schools around the country, uh, public schools removing any uh, evidence of it being about Christ, and even the word Christmas. They were even offended at Christmas trees, which really has nothing to do with Christianity, even though we have some in here. But it, it, it has nothing to do, it's not about, I mean, the tree, the Christmas tree is not about Christ. But the very fact that it said Christmas in it, that was offensive to some people. Not to mention the nativity scenes out in public for people to see. How dare you offend us so much by putting up a, a nativity scene where you recognize that there's one who uh, came from heaven to, to earth to take on human flesh and be born and we, we have representation of it here. That's offensive to me. How dare you offend me by putting up a nativity scene. The list of these kinds of things where we are so offended by even the word Christmas or, or nativity scenes in our culture. These, the list of these kinds of insanities could go on and on. Why so much objection to Christmas? Well, I think it was very much the same type of objection that, that Herod had. Because we recognize that he has is, he is come to be born king Jews and he is our king and as our king and having been given authority on all of heaven and earth we must submit to him and people are going to say I will not submit to him I am my own ruler and only me and so the response to Jesus' coming as it was with Herod is hatred and hostility towards him. It, just, it, it seems amazing. How can you be so hostile to the coming of Christ? Yet we do see it in our world today. Ask yourself this morning. How are you in this? I, I seriously doubt there's anyone in this room this morning who would say, yeah, I'm hostile to him coming. I, so hopefully that's not the reaction of anyone in this room this morning. But it is out there. Another reaction that I find interesting is the reaction of the religious leaders here. Um, in verse 4, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law are called. Um, these are the best theologians of the day. 
Uh, these are the men who led the worship of the people in the, in the temple there in, in Jerusalem. These are the ones who spent their lives studying the Old Testament scriptures and seeing what the Old Testament scriptures over and over and over again are telling us. That a Messiah is coming. A new king is coming. I, God's saying, I'm promising it's going to happen. He's promised throughout. It's going to be eternal king. It's going to be great. And now here are these guys who called before Herod. And he says, you know what? There's some people here who say they've seen the star. And he must be, he must be born. Where is he supposed to be born? Well, they, they know the scriptures. They know it. So they tell him. They tell him. But what is interesting to me about them is that when they respond, it seems that what they do is they go right back to what they were doing. I would have thought, I just would have thought that if they hear that the, this Messiah that they've been looking for for thousands of years in all of their life as a religious leader and all the time that they spent in Scripture looking forward to him, if they had heard that he was here, they would have said, can we go with you? I want to go with you right now. Let's go. Let's find him. This is exciting. It doesn't seem to be what they did. It seems that it seems that they had too much going on right there in Jerusalem. Now, they had to take care of the temple after all. They had to continue to study the Old Testament. They had to offer prayers and sacrifices for the people. It was a lot of stuff that they were doing as religious leaders there. Uh, they really almost couldn't be bothered with going to, uh, uh, going to see their new king. I wonder, as, as Christians, do we sometimes find that we're too busy with uh, important stuff, good stuff, that uh, we're indifferent to what is the best? Thinking about what we do in the church, um, are we too busy feeding the poor? Are we too busy building homes for the homeless or organizing blood drives or uh, keeping our television ministries going? Or maybe we're being a political agent for change or helping people build up self-esteem or too busy about helping people have better marriages or better kids. I mean, these are all important things and good things and things that the church should be involved in. And yet, and yet it's not the best. And if we're so involved in all of these other things that we can't focus on the fact that we're here to worship and glorify God and that, that, that that's the reason he created us, that's the most important, and that he has come. All of these other things are good and we should pay attention to them, but none of them are as important as giving glory to God and speaking the gospel of salvation about Christ alone. The religious leaders of his day, I don't like that squirrel. He bothered us tremendously a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we're going to get him. Anyway, Hopefully he'll be quiet the rest of the time here. The religious leaders of that day, they were, they were satisfied with the status quo that they had. Uh, in Rome, there were certain religions that were allowed. And you had to be on a list of, of religions. And the, the Jewish religion was a, a religion that was allowed and they could practice it. 
and uh, they didn't really want to, to cause a, a commotion, a stir, so that, um, uh, so that the Romans in any way would say, you have to stop worshiping this way. Um, they were not too excited about this new king coming because that might rock the boat. And the Roman authorities might come in and say, you know what, you've gone too far now. You're saying that there's another king. This seems like, uh, this seems like treason. Well, they weren't ready for, for that. And so the religious leaders were just like, well, let's just keep the status quo going just like it is. I wonder if Christians, if we're content with the status quo. The world tells us that as Christians, uh, that we can be Christians as long as we keep it within these four walls. That, right? uh, but we don't have any right as Christians to go out and try to convert others. That's just wrong, right? That's what the world would tell us. So you got to keep it in here. They say you can be a Christian as long as you don't let it really get all of your life and make you come, become some crazy zealot for, for uh, Jesus. If you're a politician and you uh, admit to being a Christian, well, that's okay too. But you are not to let your Christian views affect the way that you, you govern them. How insane is that? But so many, uh, even uh, you can watch political debates and, and someone would be confronted on the fact that they might have been called a Christian and, and their response is, well, yeah, but I'm not going to let that affect my ruling. They're satisfied with the status quo. As far as the coming of a king, uh, it's just kind of a, yeah, I'm glad he came. Just a little indifferent to him. And I think that that is what it seems that it was the, the attitude of the religious leaders here this first Christmas uh, time when, when they know he's come, but it's just not that important to me. Oh, yeah, I know that all of our history has been about him coming, but it's really no big deal. We say that he has come and that he has come to forgive us our sins and, and restore a relationship with God. Oh, it's not really that big a deal, right? we got more important things to do. More important things to, to think about. Well, that seemed to be the reaction of the religious leaders. The third reaction to the uh, coming of, uh, of, the, <clears throat> of the Christ, the King of the Jews, and that would certainly be the reaction of the Magi. Uh, what do we know about these guys? Well, we often sing of them. We sing, we three kings of Orient are, right? I guess it's okay, except for they most likely weren't kings. There was uh, most likely more than three of them, and they weren't from the Orient. But other than that, it's, I guess, an okay song. What do we know about them? Well, some uh, say that they are from a priestly line of the Medes. Some say that they were from Babylonia. Matthew tells us they were from the east. Not real sure exactly what this is all about, but uh, it, it seems that they are uh, uh, watching the constellation, and, and when they see it, they know that there's something about this. Where did they get that information? Well, many scholars have, have uh, suggested that what this is all about is when uh, Israel was taken into Babylonian captivity you know, with Daniel and, and his friends, 
and they would tell them the teaching of the Old Testament. And so some of these people picked it up and believed it and knew that he was coming because it was foretold. And they remembered it and passed it on down to their children. And here we have this magi who have been told of the coming of the, uh, of the king of the Jews. And they see the star and they go, yeah, he's here. Let's, let's go worship him. Well, at any rate, they, 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 see, his, uh, they see this star they know he's here. It's quite a distance for them. Um, quite a distance for them. Traveling those days was not quite like it is in our day. Um, we can get on a plane and uh, in two and a half hours be out in California to see our children. Um, you can fly across the country in a matter of hours, across the world in a matter of a day. Uh, not at all like it in those days. They didn't have trains, planes, or automobiles. They traveled with horses and donkeys and camels. They also didn't have restaurants or motels along the way. They had to bring their food. They had to pack it, and they had to pack not only their, their food, but their housing, their tents as they went along the way. They also had to provide for the, the food and for themselves and their animals. This took a while to prepare and to get ready. And then the travel itself would take quite a long time. We're not certain of how long it uh, was, but the text seems to indicate that it took them at least several months to get there, possibly even a year. This reason Herod wants to know when they first saw the star. When they first saw the star, the child could be up to two years old. It could have been up to two years. They've been planning to go here, and it's, a, it's an ordeal to plan. Um. They weren't certain where the child was going to be. They said, we, we got to go see him. And we can't just go like this. we we got we to bring some special gifts. And the gifts that they brought, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, were all quite expensive gifts. And so they hear that he's coming. Or they hear that he's here. And they say, yeah, it's, it's an ordeal, but we've got to do it. And it's quite an expense we got to do it. These gifts are quite an expense. We've got to do it. No big deal. we got to do it because it's so important to come and to worship this, this one who's been born king of the Jews. And so they put everything else aside. All of their life is put on hold because they need to go and worship and adore the king. Many in the church today in America, we find it difficult to make it to church on a regular basis to go and to, to worship the king. Maybe it's too cold this morning, we can't do it. Or too hot. Maybe it's raining. We can't go if it's raining. Or it's such a nice day, it would be a shame to have to spend that time sitting in the pews in church. Or maybe we got some friends in town, we need to visit them. Or maybe family's coming, family's in town. We can't go to church if we got family in town. Or maybe that big football game is right at noon and that preacher might go along again. Maybe we've got to cook. Or maybe we're just too tired. And the list could go on and on about why the excuses we would make as to why we don't need to go and worship the Lord. The Magi were committed to the extent that no sacrifice was too great for them to come and worship 
and adore the King of Kings. I know there are members of this congregation, uh, both today and in the past, who have said, there is no excuse for me not to come and to worship. In the past, we had Eula McCain, who was in church every Sunday until finally, uh, with her age and her frailty, she uh, was in such great pain sitting in the pews, she finally said, I just can't do it anymore. And the next, that, the next week, she was at home with the Lord in glory. She was in worship until the week before she passed away. We have others uh, sitting in this room right now. Some of I've heard were in the hospital, having had surgery in the hospital. And the doctors came in and said, we'll let you out on Sunday. So he says, I wonder if we can get to church in time. It's amazing to see those who are committed and won't let anything get in the way to come and to worship the Lord. Well, that's what, that's what this Magi were doing. There's nothing more important than coming and, and honoring and worshiping this one who's been sent to, to become the king, to be the king of the Jews. So this morning, as we looked at these different reactions, I wonder where, where do you fit in with that? And I mean, we're not, it's, it's not just on at Christmas time, we're talking all year round. I seriously doubt there's anyone who's openly hostile to him like King Herod was. But I wonder how many of us are like the religious leaders who just say, uh, uh, there's too much else going on. It's too or are you going to be like, there is no excuse. Nothing that I should be doing that is of more importance than coming to worship and adore him. Well, I hope that uh, I hope that as we leave this place this morning, and considering his coming to earth, um, and remembering that uh, through this this uh, this time of year, especially, but that it would go on, not just this morning, but but on throughout the rest of our lives, saying the most important thing to glorify him and enjoy him forever, and we're going to go. And worship him because he is worthy. Well, let's pray.